Hello, and welcome to Solid Word Bible Church. On behalf of Pastor J. Curtis Costin, we are delighted that you are joining us and trust that you will be blessed as you apply these truths to your life. The splendor of a king Clothed in majesty Let all the earth rejoice All the earth rejoice He wrapped himself in light The very darkness tries to hide and trembles at his voice, trembles at his voice. How great is our God. Sing with me, how great is our God. And all will see how great, how great is our God. Age to age he stands, oh, and time is in his hands, beginning and the end, beginning and the end, the good head three in one, yes,
How great is our God. Sing with me. How great is our God. And all will sing. How great, how great is our God. Yes. We have Bible study and worship for our children, nursery through fifth graders. This can be found at solidword.org slash solidkids. Enjoy your time in the Lord. Hello, Solid Word. It is such an honor to be with you all this morning. I did just want to share with you this one song um, as we reflect on the faithfulness of our God and a phrase that we often use, which is, won't he do it? That is the title of this song, won't he do it? And as we think about God's faithfulness and in spite of everything that might be happening around us, that we see, that we experience, that we might even be feeling, God is working all that to our good, as we know. And the hook of the song is, I've read it before, but now I know that I know. He'll turn it all for the good, just like he said it before. Won't he do it? Won't he do it? Won't he do it? Oh, 
This morning we're going to get back into our series in the book of Ruth and we're going to actually finish it today um, as we've been looking at God's sovereign redemption, that whole sovereign redeeming um, that, you know, that, that comes from God himself and what that means. And we've looked over the weeks of how um, God sovereignly returned Naomi home from that place, that, that land of compromise where she left the place of God's provision when there was no provision for a moment, for a time, and then she returns. And we know that she thought that God was against her and that she was returning empty. So we saw that sovereign return home when disaster struck. And then we saw then this whole arranging and... Um, um, Ruth in her loyalty coming out and being that servant of and, and giving that kindness and that compassion to Naomi when she didn't have to, leaving everything she had and everything she knew to give it to her mother-in-law when her husband was gone and also when she herself was in pain. And then we see God arranging the Redeemer. Last time we talked about this, and how God used on both the hands of Boaz and Ruth, both of them who were people of high character that were displaying that compassionate kindness, that merciful action. Both of them were loyal to the other and to others around them, and it's shown. And so now we see God rewarding both, but more than that, we see him fulfilling his plan of redemption in this scenario. And we are starting to look at as we finalize, as we bring it on home, the sovereign redemption of Naomi. And we are, we are seeing this redeemer that has been needed, that has been called for, and that in the case of Naomi, she thought would never come, is now about to happen. It's about to come. And you got to keep in mind how the story has gone, that it has gone from Naomi thinking that God was her enemy, but at least I'd be under God even if he's my enemy and I'll die at home. I'll die bitter, but I'll die at home under the hand of God to now her being right on the edge of God doing something great, God keeping her family existence from being annihilated. But she's also seeing, which I think for us, many of us need to see the day as those who are following Christ, that God was and is her advocate and was not her adversary as she thought. And so as we get into today, the sovereign redemption of Naomi, we're going to see God bringing about his promises, bringing about answers to prayer, bringing about the need of a redeemer. So let's pray. Father, thank you again for today. 
Thank you, Lord, that as we look into your word, O oh God, we can see how you act. We can see who you are. Lord, we can see what you continue to do in humanity as you bring about your plan, as with your mercy and your compassion and your loving kindness, you continually spread it out among us so that we would witness who you are and that we would benefit from it. I pray today that as we get into your word, O oh Lord, that we would see what you are showing, hear what you are saying, and that we would follow where you are leading. We ask you this in Christ's name. Amen. And so as we get started, remember, <clears throat> Naomi at the end of three told Ruth after she had come back from the threshing floor and had requested from Boaz that he be her redeemer and that we saw what seemed like a little problem in there in that Boaz, being the man of integrity and wanting to do things right, said, um, there is someone else closer than I that can redeem you, but let's see if he will do it. We must do this right in order for true redemption to happen. <clears throat> and we have to understand for that situation, it showed tremendous integrity, but in the light of the full redemption of God, we have to understand that God did it and that God had to do it right so that your redemption could stick for those of us who follow Christ, that your redemption would be valid, that there would be no, no corners cut, that, that there would be no sidestepping the cost of the redemption, that he did it in the way that it had to happen, that the price had to be paid, that the cost had to be met, and that God was not going to manipulate his way to redeeming his people, in his plan, but was going to do it the right way. He was going to do it the way that it should be done. And we're seeing a smaller example of that here in the book of Ruth. And so we start off at verse one, because remember, Naomi told Ruth, the matter will be settled today. And so we can assume that it is still that same time, the today after Ruth got back home that morning after spending the night with Boaz. We pick up in verse 1 of chapter 4. Now Boaz has gone up, I mean, had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken of came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. Now, as we go through this, we're going to look at four areas that will comprise the last part of this account of this story. We're going to look at the arrangement for redemption, about how it had to be done right and how this was actually done with, <clears throat> in the way of the customs, legally right as well, although this was more of a family court type setting um, of, of, of an administration of what should happen in the case where um, a family is on the edge of being annihilated because there's no heir and that a redeemer who is a kinsman would come in and would be able to take care. As far as we know, there were only two. And, and if none of these two stepped forward, Naomi's line would have been annihilated, would have been wiped out. And so we see the two is this nameless person that the text doesn't want to name. We'll get to that in a moment. And then we see Boaz, who is the second in line. And because of some of the comments he makes later, we understand that those are the only two that are most likely there. 
And if this doesn't pan out, Naomi is done. There's no redeemer. Her line ceases. And it's not just the loss of property. It is the loss of the family name. It is as if they are erased, not only from history, but from going forward. <clears throat> and so we see here, we're going to see the arrangement for redemption. We're going to see the requirement for redemption. And then we're going to see the declaration of redemption. And then lastly, we're going to see the intention of redemption. So let's start with the first part, the verse that I just read, the arrangement of redemption. Boaz had gone down and he sat at the gate. If you look throughout the Old Testament and in this particular culture, the gate was where decisions for the community, where those things that were critical were made. If you look at the book of Proverbs, when it is describing this woman of excellence, we call it the Proverbs 31 woman. You see further down in that description, it says that 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 her husband is known at the gate. That is the place of decision. That's where <clears throat> that's where the leaders of the various families and tribes met and that things were decided. It is it was that place of honor. And it was that place that if you wanted to do something public and you wanted it to be legally known and understood, you did it at the gate. And so Boaz, being the man of integrity that he is, and he's wanting to do this redemption right, he arranged it in a public setting. There was going to be no backroom decisions, no under the table, no underhanded bribes. It wasn't going to be some sly convincing. It was going to be, uh, it was, it was going to be done in public, and it, was, and it was going to be done with witnesses, and it was going to be done in such a way that no one could argue what would happen? <clears throat> See, I love whenever people leave things to the hand of God, even if you're unsure of the outcome, but you do it right. See, there are some Christians that believe today <clears throat> that I can, help by, uh, I can help out God by being just a little sly and underhanded, by lying just a little bit by doing things undercover and secret just a little. I mean, my, 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 my intentions are good, so you should have no problem if I step off track a little bit. See, Boaz was not one of those people. He was going to trust the hand of God for what God wanted, even if it meant someone else would carry it out. <clears throat> Remember, Ruth came to him at the threshing floor and asked, for him to be a redeemer, she did not know that there was someone else that was closer. But Boaz knew that there was. And he was not going to allow the temptation to grab the opportunity, take it while it was there, and then later to deal with whatever fallout I have. That's not godly integrity. And let it be a reminder to all of us, and especially to our brothers, that when we are out in the world, that we are acting with integrity, especially as we are dealing with situations that require our hand, that we do it right, that we do it well, and that we leave the results to God. Too many times out of our fear, this is for all of us, too many times out of our fear, we choose to do things a little off track. And saying, God will forgive me, but he knows my heart. Yeah, he knows your heart all right. He knows that you are not trusting him enough to do it the right way. 
And so, God, I'm afraid that I'm not going to get the grade that I need to get on the test. And so I'm going to do something underhand on the sly and people won't know and nobody will notice so that I kind of help you out. God, I really want that relationship, and I'm not willing to let you decide if it's one that I want. I'm going to go ahead and put myself in a position where it just can't help but happen and hope that you bless my mess. Oh, God, I really want that job, and so I'm going to say what they want to hear, even if it's not totally true. When we are truly allowing God to do in our lives what he wants, And according to his agenda, we will do it in the way that screams integrity and one that no one can argue that it wasn't done right. And so he goes to the gate for the public and he sees the guy passing by. Once again, just a sovereign hand of God. He was going to be looking for him because that gate was where everyone that was going out of the city into the country, especially during the threshing floor season, they would come in and out of that gate. And so you could see Boaz hanging out at the gate, just waiting to see if he saw him. And he did. And when he saw him, he called him over. You can see he waved. In essence, he said, come. What he really said was, Turn aside from wherever you were going. Whatever you were planning on doing, put it on pause and come over here. And so he would have known that it was it was something that was important, something that was critical. So he decided to come. And then he didn't just have that conversation with just him and the guy. Then he calls over 10. We don't fully know why he called over 10. But as they look throughout history in in the in the culture, 10 could be seen as the minimum quorum that they could have for people to decide, kind of a subgroup of the larger group of elders of the city that would testify and that would, um, and that would hear out what he was about to say. And so he did it within the culture in a way that would be understood. And so he calls the group together The arranging for redemption is in the environment of integrity. He didn't have to resort to manipulation. He didn't have to resort to something that was outside of the approval of God. He did it well and and had to let God be the one who made it happen. The other thing I think, too, I mean, that we see here, too, is he didn't just say, well, God's going to take care of it. He did what he could do. Understand that. And he did it in a way that it could be done. And, and, and this is something for those who just like to say, I'm just going to let God do it. And then you don't do anything. And then you wonder why you don't get anything. It's because you haven't done anything. Boaz did not sit idly when he told Ruth that he just said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to decide on this. He went ahead and did it. And so he got them all in public and he placed it in God's hands. And then he goes on. The next one is the requirement for redemption. He states the case. Verse 3, he said, it says, Then he said to the Redeemer, the one who would be the possible Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. Again, this family court kind of setting. 
So I thought I would tell you of it and say, I got to stop there. He says, so I thought I would tell you. In other words, you probably didn't know this. But I'm going to reveal it. And actually, it seems that it's not advantageous, um, um, advantageous for me to reveal it, but I'm going to do it anyway, because it's the right thing to do. He says, then he said to them, Naomi is selling the parcel of land that belongs to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. The requirement for redemption was to make the public notice. This land that, that Elimelech possessed, which went to his widow, Naomi, that's why he says Naomi is selling it, is up. She cannot tend it. She cannot take care of it. And, and in essence, though, she's about to be annihilated. She needs a redeemer for her line to continue. They understood that language. It was clear within the Israeli, with, with, within the culture of Israel, it was understood that Naomi needed a redeemer. And then he said, listen, he says, I'm doing this in the company of those sitting here and the elders. So who are the other people? Probably those that had gathered around because they saw those people gathering at the gate and knew something publicly was happening. And so he said, in the presence of the witnesses, all of them around here that are listening in and the representation of the elders that he grabbed and brought together, he says, I want this to be decided. Now, this whole requirement <clears throat> It had to be stated what was put out there, what the cost would be. And also there is an implied benefit. And this nameless person, and some scholars suggested they left him nameless because of, of, of his actions in this story. He wasn't one worthy to be mentioned by name because of what he did not do. Uh, <clears throat> because clearly it would have been known who this person was. If he was a closer relative to Naomi, then Boaz, surely his name would have been known. And so we see here underneath that there is what's included in it by the land. And what is implied here is that the cost would be minimal because at this point he had not included the taking care of anyone underneath the buying of all that that belonged to Elimelech. And so in this particular case, he figured, and according to culture, I am gaining property with minimal cost. Naomi has no heirs, so there's no heir that as he gets older would lay claim to this property that I would have to divide among my own kids. And so there was this greater benefit, and I'm sure he saw it as, well, wow, this is great. That's like buying land cheap, getting it for next to nothing, and getting all the benefits. Of course I want it. Who wouldn't want it? And it would be at Naomi's expense. At least her line would not be, would not disappear would not be destroyed. Understand, 
And think about this. Naomi was not going to have any more children. So there were no more heirs to have. And so he didn't have to worry about having a child through Naomi. And so when he heard it, he said, I will surely, I will redeem it. And in his mind, he thought, great, no problem. This is an easy one. I'll take the land. Yep, I'm the closest one. I'll do it. Now, remember, he had borne no part of the journey. And if you were reading this, you were reading the story, some of the disappointment, there would have been just a silence in the room. The air would have been sucked out. Hold on a second. He didn't journey with Ruth any of this time. He didn't provide for her. He didn't care for, he didn't allow her to be in his fields. He was nowhere to be found. Where did this dude come from all of a sudden? He seems to be benefiting where he hasn't given, where he hasn't helped, where he hasn't shown that has said, which is that compassion and that kindness. How can someone that hasn't demonstrated kindness and love and loyalty at a cost to themselves who hasn't given, how can they step in? God, how do you, how do you allow that? And see, that's many times where we run into a point where we want to do things our way. It's not going. <clears throat> it's not going in the way that it should. That this guy who doesn't deserve to be in here is about to get what he should not be getting just because of his proximity to redemption. He hasn't shown himself to be a worthy redeemer. And God says, hold on, stop getting it. Stop getting anxious and antsy. Let me work out my plan my way. And I love what he does. He says the requirement. He says, yes, that you would have to buy the land. That was more benefit than cost. And the guy answered. But then, because I would imagine Boaz paused. I wonder why he didn't give him the full thing then. Boaz paused. Part of it, I believe, is that he was revealing his intention, that he wanted, he wanted benefit with very little cost. He wanted, to, he wanted to benefit from Naomi's demise, Naomi's hardship with very little cost and very little commitment and very little help and loyalty. It didn't take much, and that had to be revealed, I believe. And so what ends up happening is that he says, I'll buy it. But then Boaz lowers the cost of it. And boy, this just sounds for us, this whole cost of this redemption, what it cost um, the Son of God in our case as I look to Christ and what it means for us in the cost of discipleship. There is a cost. There is no easy way. There is no free going. And he says here, verse 5, Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire or with this comes Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to, perpetu I mean, in order to um, perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. In other words, Elimelech had an inheritance among all the people of the nation of Israel of of that tribe in that area, and so that his inheritance wouldn't be um, destroyed and his name wouldn't disappear, he said, with it, you take, and what he was 
saying is Ruth is taking the place of Naomi in this case as the one in whom you will have to take care of that can bear an heir. And so he says to him, glad you'll be able to take it. Since you do, the day that you take over and that you purchase all of what belongs to Elimelech, let me let you know all of what belonged to Elimelech. There is this foreign girl that they all would have known of by now because Boaz had already said that the community had spoken well of her and had said a whole lot about her. He said, you also get Ruth. In other words, when you take over what was Naomi's inheritance, you also take over the cost that comes with it. And by the way, is more than Naomi, is actually Ruth. And so now the cost just went high. Why? Because Ruth was still within childbearing years. She could have an heir. As a matter of fact, if God opened her womb up that much, she can have about 10 more heirs. In other words, what he saw at that point was that it went to something that I got for, for, for next to nothing, to something that was going to cost me a whole lot. Why do I know that? Because of his response. And so there was a cost there. There was something that he did not want to undertake. And so <clears throat> here's what we see. He says, verse six, then the, the redeemer says, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. And when he says, I cannot, it's too much for me. I can't bear it. I can't handle it. Hold on a second, homie. You just went from, sure, I'll buy it, to, whoa, that's a little bit too much. What changed? The cost. What changed? You added something in that I wasn't willing to take. He said, wait a minute. Just a moment ago, I was willing to, to actually capitalize. I was willing to benefit from Naomi's disaster. But when you bring in an extra cost, my level of loyalty ends there. When you bring in an extra a burden, my loyalty to this situation ends. Boy, isn't that like many of us? We want to stand with God. We want to stand in Christ as long as the cost is minimal. But God, when you start messing with my money, when you start messing with my home, when you start messing with my career, when you start messing with my culture, when you start messing with my plans, when you start, when it, when it looks like it's going to cost a lot, then I no longer want it. And I look also to the cost of our redemption. What if Jesus said to the Father, nah, you know what, I was all for going to redeem, oh God, humanity. I was all for it until you start and Un, un, until you started to talk about dying on the cross, until you started to talk about going down and being abused by our own creation, of being misunderstood, of being maligned, of being thrown to the side, of being whooped mercilessly or whipped. See now, my culture's showing whooped. And, 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 and so of being beat, of being, of being mishandled. When you started talking like that, then I started saying, nah, I'm good. You need to find yourself another redeemer. What if Jesus did that for you and I? 
I wouldn't be standing here talking to you. You wouldn't be where you are listening to me because we would have no relationship with God. He took the cost. There was the cost was not great enough. There was no cost too great that he would say no to. And we get that in Boaz in what would happen later. This nameless redeemer, this one who wasn't honored enough to give his name because he says it costs too much. It would mess up mine. In essence, too, it would add another child into the mix. And not only would it hurt um, um, what I have, I would have to split it up with more people. And I don't know how many more that will be. It costs too much. I want us to think about that as God calls us to loyalty to him and his plan and to loyalty to others as we work out um, our, our life in Christ. When does it cost too much for you? When does loyalty to God become too expensive? When, um, when is it when standing up for those that need your Loyal kindness and commitment that need your help, that need your standing in for them and standing up for them. We have that going on now. We have people now that are putting a lot on the line to stand up for people other than themselves. And they should. That's believers should be doing that. We should be standing up even if it costs us because we are given loyalty to God by standing up to those that either have a voice that is unheard or a voice that is ignored or a voice that doesn't exist. And so we see here today that he says, I cannot. It costs too much. I think of that unconditional grace and compassion that has said of Boaz which matched the Hesed of Ruth and only to be outdone by the Hesed of God who set all this up and would make all this come about the way he wanted it to. And so we see next is not only the requirement from, for redemption, it is the declaration of redemption. And think of this. So then when he says no, Verse seven. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. As he's writing this, this practice must have ceased because he's reminding the readers right now that this was a practice at that time. And so he says, verse eight. So when the redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sand. He's saying, I'm making this a, a, a deal. And he did it quickly. I can't do this. I'm not going to do this. Causing too much. He took off his shoe. He said, here, buddy, it's yours. It's not worth it to me. God is saying to you and I, you are worth it to me. Every cost that it took. And he's saying to you and I, like Boaz, it's worth it to you when you stand up in loyalty according to God's agenda and plan for those that need it. And he says, verse 9, then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, now the crowd that had gathered around, you are witnesses this day 
that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. He makes this declaration of redemption. Understand in this, the same conditions that apply to the nameless redeemer who decided it was too costly apply to Boaz. We don't know all the family. We don't know whom else Boaz has in his lineage that he's going to have to divide up. Now that he's going to have to divide up with whomever Ruth has or bears if God gives her. And so he says he's under the same condition that this other guy was under. But for him, that cost wasn't too much. He is the kind of redeemer that is needed. One that will look at it and will say, I will do it regardless of the cost. And so now we come down and he says also, verse 10, Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. He starts off with you are witnesses and finishes with you are witnesses and all that what's in between. This is kind of called an inclusio. All that's what's in between or what you guys are witnesses to. I am redeeming Ruth. And with that, God now fulfills so many things that are happening. Everyone witnessed that he was willing to bear the cost, that it was not too much to show this compassionate, unconditional grace and kindness. And that he was going to honor what needed to be honored. And then we get to our very last section, which is the intention of redemption. And then we see the response, the number one intention. God was going to get the glory out of this. When human initiative acts on behalf of God, humans don't get the glory first. God does. Verse 10 actually says here that all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, by the way, two founding women of the culture of the nation of Israel, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And it says, and may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. I love it here that the, the people witness to God and they go what they want God to do. Human initiative done in the character of God allows people to witness before God and to speak to the Lord of what they want the Lord to be able to do. I love this. And so for God to be glorified in this, and they say it in some interesting ways when they reference Perez and with Tamar, you know, that particular story. It's a it's a it's a um, not suspicious. It's a it's a bit scandalous there what ended up happening, because when Judah did not want to give his firstborn to Tamar so that the line can be perpetuated, she disguised herself. If you read that story rather sketchy. She disguised herself 
and caught Judah up in and had Perez. And God used a foreigner in this case that became greatest among that tribe and nation. He used a foreign woman to bring about his plan because of the unwillingness of someone else. And here he's using another foreigner to bring about his plan when the person who was of the culture would not do what was needed to be done. But he was using Ruth now, almost like he used Tamar. And so we see that God gets the glory. We also see the intention of redemption was the prayer for rest for Ruth um, with having a husband was answered. Remember, she said that prayer first in chapter one, and then she repeated it again in the next chapter that she wanted rest for him. I mean, in, in, in chapter three. And so now we see that prayer being answered. Verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Prayer answered. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Now understand all of the years that she was married to Malon, God did not provide children in that environment. And we see here that God is the sovereign one behind that. And we see here that God has granted her conception. God was now behind it, whereas there was no heir before in the land of compromise. They moved there to have a better life, and that better life was not had. It actually went bad, and now that they're back, and all of the loyalty is being shown, and now you are back where God provides. You are back under where, where, where God's people are, Bethlehem, the house of bread. Now God does provide in a number of ways, and he touches Ruth, and she has a son. <coughs> and so we see that God gave her rest in that husband that she has, in now that the child that she has, and now that the heir that Naomi has, that's the other intention, is that, is that, is that God was providing an heir for Naomi. But in doing that also, he was making Ruth's name great, and Ruth wasn't even trying to make her name great. Ruth wasn't trying to manipulate, to manipulate her way into Naomi's culture. She was just loyal to the woman that she had been attached to, and God honored her faithfulness and her loyalty, and he made her name great. Stop trying to make yourself great. Stop trying to position yourself for greatness. Position yourself in faithfulness. Position yourself in commitment. Position yourself in loyalty and unto God and unto his agenda and let him make you great whenever it's time that he wants and how he wants. Ruth probably didn't even think that it would end anywhere like this when she said to Naomi that I'm going with you, your people will be my people, your God, my God, where you die and even after you die, I'll still be. I can't believe that she saw any of this as happening. But her commitment to the God of Naomi and Naomi made it such that God, I mean, she was in a position for God to do whatever he wanted, and this is what he did. And so there was this rest for Ruth, and it was this heir for Naomi. The intention of redemption was to provide an heir 
Naomi now has someone that would continue the family. Remember, she had gone and she said when she came back that she was empty. And then verse 14, as we wind this down, says, Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. I love this. In this air for Naomi, what the, what the women says is, look, may God be blessed for what he has done. It says, look at God. He says to her, he has not left you without a redeemer. You thought you came back to die without one who would be an heir. As a matter of fact, remember when you came back and we and we actually in, in chapter one, verse 19, when they came back and they said, is that Naomi? And she said, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me bitter. Call me Mara because I'm bitter because the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. And now she is sitting here with a son born to Ruth, the woman that she tried to get to go back because in her bitterness she was like, I, I, don't, I don't have nothing. There is nothing with me. There's nothing for you with me. I'm going back home to die. You go back home and may the Lord be with you. And she is sitting here now at looking at God's redemption, looking at what God had done. And his intention was that she would see that he was never an adversary that he was always an advocate. And see, this is, this is interesting now because she is no longer bitter or empty. She now gets back to matching her name, Pleasant. But now she has seemingly even more than what she left with. But it actually comes with a mindset change. Understand, Naomi never got back her son's. Malon and Chilion never came back. Elimelech never came back. Naomi never had a husband again. And so it's not like this wasn't without loss. It was. But God, in what he provided, soothed that pain and brought newness in her life. And she had to be willing to embrace the newness in light of the loss. Some of us today, God is calling for you and he's calling for all of us that when we have experienced loss of some kind or that something that has disappeared or something that has happened that has been tragic, he says, are you willing to embrace the newness that I bring, even if that newness doesn't bring everything back that you lost? But what I'm doing, this newness of what I want to do in and through you and, and, and actually use you in and to bring to you, will you be willing to accept it and embrace it? Or are you going to stay embittered as to what happened? Are you going to be bitter as to what I allowed to transpire? Are you going to see yourself as blessed? Or are you going to stay embittered because of your past? And boy, he comes up. I'm sorry. <clears throat> she sits there. 
and she realizes the blessing now. Yes, God is no longer and never was my adversary, but my advocate. And I've received much more. That's what they said to her. They said, you, what you have received through your daughter-in-law who loves you is more than seven sons. Understand that sons in this culture were great to have because of the, the, the influence and the inheritance in their culture. And to have seven was this number of completion. So what they said is, Ruth, given to you, this woman who is loyal, who has been faithful, who loves you, is much better than seven sons who could have set you up completely. Because when God acts to redeem, when he moves to redeem, when he does to bring you back in from where you were lost, he makes it better than you ever had, even if what he gives you is not what people think is as great as what you have. When God brings redemption, he makes it better than anyone could ever give to you. The intention of redemption. And in these next verses, coming on down, hang with me just a moment. He says, verse 16, then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now understand this. There's no other place where you see the community naming the child and the parents aren't. In this particular case, the community. Now remember, this takes us back to chapter one. When she came back, the women listened. When the commentaries I was looking at made this, made this observation, and I agree. The women, the women listened to her state how bitter and how empty she was and that how God was adversarial. At the end of this all, Naomi is not saying anything. The writer leaves you to guess and to wonder what Naomi is thinking as she takes the child, knowing that she could never have children with her sons that were there, knowing that she had lost her husband and wouldn't be able to have any more children of her own. But she stands there and it says that she takes the child and she places him on his lap. It just leaves you with wonder of just the possible excitement and and, and all kinds of emotions that were going through Naomi's mind as God has brought it full circle, as God has brought it back around. She has been redeemed and she has an heir. <coughs> and as she does, she listens now to the women. Remember, the women listened to her, claiming how bitter she was. And now she is listening to the women tell her how blessed she is. Can you imagine them women are going, look at you, Naomi. Oh, do you remember back when you first got here how bitter you was? Girl, do you see how blessed you are now? Look at what God has done to you. Look at what he has done for you. You remember when you wanted to change your name? Oh, I know you don't want to change your now. Girl, look at you. God done blessed you. We're going to name that son. Naomi wasn't even saying the word. She didn't even object to the name. You know what Obed means? The one who serves. As a matter of fact, some believe that it is a short version of Obadiah, which means the servant of Yahweh. But even if it's not the one who serves, 
Who would he serve? He would serve Naomi because he would be an heir for her. That no longer will the name of Naomi's family be eliminated and that she is now satisfied with an heir. But not only that, he would be an heir for the entire nation of Israel. Why? Because through Obed would come Jesse and through Jesse would come Israel's greatest king, humanly speaking, David. But through David would come, and that's what we get in the last few verses in the genealogy, through David would come, further on down the line, would come our Messiah, would come Christ from the lineage of David, and he would sit on the throne forever. And so God was providing through his redemption for the nation, although he provided for Naomi. And what God was saying, too, I wrote this down, God also de demonstrated in using Naomi that God values and looks after and protects and covers and responds to the marginalized and the disregarded. She was a Moabite and was mentioned different times, Moabite, Moabite. They were at odds at different times in Israel's history and, and, and she was always in danger of being put out of the community. With her marriage to Boaz, she was now brought full-fledged um, legally into the community as the community of Israel. That reminds me of me and you whenever we were outside of the family of God. We were outside of the covenant and the promises. Those promises didn't apply to us as those that were not of the people that God had originally brought together, his nation, his people. But he says now that through Christ we have been grafted in, we have been brought in, he said he took those that were marginalized and on the outside. We were foreigners to what God's original intent and what he was doing was. We weren't included um, as he worked on that behalf, but we know that we were overall included because his full plan has always been to bring in those outside, inside. And now Jew and Gentile are now one in Christ. He was the Redeemer who it wasn't too much of a cost for him to bring you and I in who were on the outside looking in and now we are part of the covenant community. Wow. God shows us here that he uses whomever he chooses in his plan for humanity. He will use whomever he chooses to. He also shows us that his sovereignty, of course, has no limit. He is Overall, in control of all, and his timing is always perfect. And so as we wrap this up, I have questions for you. And hopefully through this, you see that God will use people who decide that they are going to work according to his agenda, in his character, for his purposes, understanding that where, where, where human initiative is limited, God's work in his initiative is unlimited. He uses humans for his work, but where they can't go anymore, God goes beyond and still brings about his plan and he includes them. So questions for you. Where is God calling you to do things correctly and right? leaving it up to his sovereignty to rule and ultimately win. Whatever he wants, are you willing to leave it up to him? Or are you going to try and get your little hands in there and mess it up, help God out? All the while, all you're doing is messing it up.
Second question. Where are you only willing to be of help when it is only beneficial to you and not too costly? Where are you saying my commitment is only if God, your plan doesn't cost me a lot. But where your plan is costly, I'm not down with it. Where is God showing that's who you are? Thirdly, where is God calling for you to express a costly, loyal love as you serve others? And then lastly, how are you embracing the new that God is bringing in your life without being embittered about what has been lost? For some of you, God is wanting to start something and bring something new, but you are so angry over the past and what he has allowed to happen in your life that you will not embrace the new. And God is saying to you, will you just let go of the loss and allow me to heal it in your life and bring in something new that may not replace the loss, but I'm starting something else in your life that is going to bring you joy as you follow me. Where is God causing you to do that? We saw sovereign redemption from the ruins. That was the series. God took what Naomi thought was a disaster and brought it into sheer delight as he set her up through this process to keep her from being annihilated and to use her in his redemptive plan for all humanity. Understand, God can sovereignly bring redemption from your ruins. Number one, if you trust him in your life as Savior. Number two, if you trust him in your life sovereignly. And if you continue with him and you express that love in your life as he empowers you to do it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you have given us of yourself. Lord, you are sovereign and you love us and your loving kindness, oh God, is better than anyone else can give and better than anything else that we can receive. Lord, you indeed are more than anyone and anything. And Father, I pray today that we would see how you have brought about redemption of humanity, our redemption, and that there was no cost too much. Father, for you to bring about redemption. But I pray also, God, that we would see how you bring about this redemption from ruins, that if we have and as we have done things that have made a mess around us, first our sin in our life, you have brought us redemption that we can be in relationship with you. And then, oh God, that you redeem situations in our lives where you are bringing things back if we would but follow you. I pray that we would follow you. I pray, God, that we would keep our eyes on you. I pray that we would stay loyal to you. And in doing that, that we would serve others out of that loyalty to you. Strengthen us, God, in Christ's name, amen. You've been listening to a broadcast of Solid Word Bible Church located at 4374 West 52nd Street, Indianapolis, Indiana. And if you made the decision to give your life to Christ, 
Would you please share it with us so we can rejoice with you and also pray for you? Again, thank you for joining us and may God continue to keep you until next time.